Well, this morning, I invite you to turn into your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. And we are going to be uh, considering just one verse in Paul's wonderful letter, chapter 6 and verse 18. You'll find that on page 979 in the Pew Bible in front of you, if you want to use that Bible. And if you do not have a copy of God's Word, we certainly invite you to take that Pew Bible there as our gift uh, to you. So Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18, the I'm looking forward to the opportunity to consider God's Word in this passage as we begin our our prayer week, even as I think as we start this year of 2017, that uh, we might ask God to do good and fresh work in us, in particular as it regards to our devotion to Him in prayer. And so I hope that uh, you'll receive God's Word this morning uh, as it is intended as a, as a call, a gracious call to us all, that we might grow in our fervency to our Lord as we seek Him in prayer. And so Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18, hear now the Word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Our Father in heaven, it has been our great delight this morning, I trust, to gather and to praise, to respond to you from our hearts in song. But now, Father, we ask that you would delight our hearts in your word. We ask in your kindness to us the Spirit would have great power in our lives, that today He would open our ears. Our Lord says, let him who has ears hear. Father, may it be for all who are in this room, in Your sovereign kindness, to give us ears to hear what You would say to us this morning, that we might be changed more into the image of our Lord. Jesus Christ, for it's in His name we pray. Amen. It was on July 20th in 1861, 24 miles west of Washington, D.C., when the valleys and fields of Manassas, Virginia, teamed with the largest assembly of military might ever seen in America. Close to 60,000 troops gathered in the first land battle of the American Civil War. Joining those 60,000 soldiers were hundreds of spectators who had come down from Washington, D.C. to watch the battle as if it were some show or a sporting event. They, they spread out their blankets upon the hills around the battlefield. They drank their tea as men died in battle in the field below. Historians have noted that the spectators were, quote, all very excited, especially one woman who donned an opera glass. She says she was, quote, quite beside herself when a louder than usual volley echoed from the battlefield. That is splendid, she exclaimed. Oh my, is this not first rate? I wonder if many Christians live like these spectators. 
that there is a battle waging around us, and yet we sit on the side sipping our tea as if it was not even going on. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 6 and verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul says, we are in a war. Therefore, he does not go on and say, okay, you're at war. Get your blankie out. Right? Sip your tea. Pack for a picnic. He does not say, gather around and observe a show. We hope you find it entertaining and encouraging and uplifting. No, instead the apostle says, be strong. He says, wrestle, stand against, resist, stand firm, put on the whole armor of God. And then he goes on, as you know, in this famous passage to describe each piece of our of our armament that we are to don, finally reaching a climax in verse 18, saying, pray at all times in the spirit. Even though, Paul says, you're, you're well armed, even though you've, you've defended yourself with the armor of God, he says, you must pray. And yet, my, my brothers and sisters, I feel like this, even though the Bible commands us, I feel like this is, a, for many of us, clearly not all of us, for, for many of us, an area of failure. It is Paul Miller, who's uh, many of you who, who have read his wonderful book, A Praying Life, has, has estimated that 90% of Christians do not have any meaningful time in prayer. We are not alone in this. This is not an American issue. It's not a 21st century issue. It has been going on ever since God has had a people. Uh, I think of uh, a a situation in Mark chapter 9. Remember when Jesus ascended up to the mountain? And there upon the mountain he was transfigured and, and he spoke with Moses and Elijah and even the Father spoke to him from that cloud of glory. And, and he took with him, didn't he, three apostles, Peter, John, and James, leaving the other nine in the valley below to continue his ministry. And so while those nine are, are ministering, a, a man comes to them with his son who is possessed by a demon, if you will. His son is being besieged by the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And he brings them to the apostles and says, will you, can you do anything for him? Will you, will you drive this demon from him? Now, I want you to understand that these apostles had already at this point been given authority over demons. They have already been sent out on their own by Jesus. They have already driven demons out of other people. And, and, and this boy comes with this demon and, and they're unable to do anything with, with this child. And Jesus comes down from this, this mountain and experiencing perhaps one of the greatest events in his earthly life. And he comes down to this scene of, of chaos. 
And by this time, the crowds have gathered and the, the Pharisees have shown up. And you got the Pharisees and the apostles and thousands of people all yelling and arguing. And this desperate father trying to shout above them all. And, and finally, Jesus gets to the middle of it and the father comes to him. And he says, I brought my son to your disciples, but they were unable to drive him out. And he says, Jesus, if you could do anything, can you heal him? Right? And Jesus says, what do you mean if? See, what's happened is that this man has looked at Jesus' followers and therefore concluded something about Jesus. I wonder if that happens today. He says, bring the boy to me. And as he brought the boy, we find one of the few times where Jesus is totally exasperated. And not with the Pharisees. And not with the masses. But with his own disciples saying, oh, you faithless generation, how long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. And Jesus speaks to the demon, casts that demon out, and he takes this boy who had been besieged by this enemy his whole life, and he gives him back to his daddy because that's what Jesus does. And then he draws away, and the apostles come to him privately and say, why couldn't we cast out the demon? And you know what Jesus says? Because you didn't pray. Why, why didn't you pray? You thought you were going to take on this enemy in your own strength? You thought you were going to, to live the life I'm calling you to live in your own strength? You think you're going to grow in godliness and, and have stable joy and overcome temptation and love your wife as Christ loves the church and share the, the gospel boldly in your own strength? In your own ability? Man, you might as well get a blankie out and go sip some tea. Because if you're not going to call upon God to enable you to live the life in which I have called you to, you are useless. You have nothing to offer. That's what he calls us to. You can, we, listen, you can do nothing apart from me, the Lord says. Does he not say that? Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. And yet, my brothers and sisters, how often do I think, well, I could mount this pulpit just fine and talk for 50 minutes and, and engage you and, and, and not cry out to God, will you not do something in my life and the life of my people? And how often do we go into battle day by day without first coming to, to our master and saying, I'm going to need your help. I, I need your help today. We, we go on offense. We don't wait to be besieged. We come to him and say, help us. We, listen, we can't do it. In our, you, you know who did not try to live the life he's called to live in his own strength? Jesus. That's who. You know what he went up to that mountain to do? To pray. You know what he's doing when he's baptized? He's praying. You know what he did when he, for 40 days, he was tempted? He was praying. Do you know what he did before he chose the, the uh, 12 to be his apostles? He prayed all night. He prayed before he asked the apostles to confess him as the, uh, as the Christ. He, he prayed when his ministry began to grow. He prayed when he raised Lazarus from the dead. He prayed when he fed the 5,000. He prayed when the 72 returned to him from their ministry. He prayed for Peter. He, he prayed in the garden. He even prayed while he was dying. The man totally committed 
to seeking God's help for the life in which he had been called by God. And finally, I'll tell you, the apostles and the followers of Jesus got it because Jesus ascends to heaven and we see the church gathered in Acts and in chapter 1 in verse 14, it lists who was there and then, then it describes what they're doing and it says, they were all with one accord devoted to prayer. Peter without a doubt, in response to the enabling of God, in answer to that prayer, stands up shortly thereafter, preaches the first Christian sermon, if you will. 3,000 people come to the Lord. A church is formed. That church is described in Acts 2 and verse 42. And you know how it is described amongst other things. It says, and they were devoted to prayer. We get to Acts chapter 6. There's conflict in the church. First conflict in the church and the leadership of the church says, okay, this may get us sidetracked. He says, we need to get some men to help out in this conflict. You know why? Because we must devote ourselves to prayer. And Paul begins to form these churches. And you know what? He doesn't write the churches to the church leadership. Almost never. He writes it instead to the church itself. And do you know what he says? He says things like 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. He says things like Colossians 4.2, continue steadfastly in prayer. Devote yourself to prayer. Romans 12.12, be constant in prayer. My question for you this morning is, are you constant in prayer? Are you devoted in prayer? Are we, as a church, devoted to God through prayer? I think that's what God is calling us to do. And so out of great love in my heart and desire to see this church move forward, I'm calling you today, if you will, I hope you take this with the intent in which it's offered, put down the tea. Let's get off the blankies. And let's devote ourselves to God in prayer. It was 2017. Let's try something new. Let's try, let's breathe new life. Let's pray like we have never prayed before. Let, let us become, by God's grace, a praying church. Don't you want that? that Hamil- what is Hamilton Baptist Church? I don't know. Hamilton Baptist Church is a lot of things. Well, I'll tell you one thing. They are a people who pray. They don't think they can do squat on their own. That's what I long for. I My prayer is that God will put that longing into your heart. And I'll tell you, listen, if we are ever to become a praying church, we are going to need some help. I think that's perhaps why Paul says in Ephesians 6 and verse 18, pray in all times in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. And so, um, what does it mean to pray in the Spirit? Uh, That's what we're called to do. Paul doesn't really explain it here in in Ephesians, but if you will, turn over to the book of Romans. And this will be the only time we'll turn in our Bibles this morning. Uh, We'll come back to Ephesians, but in Romans chapter 8, I think Paul helps us. In fact, Romans 8, many people consider to be the the kind of the pinnacle of Scripture. Many people say it's the best chapter in all the Bible. Interestingly enough, it's it's all about the Holy Spirit and how the Spirit helps us in many different ways. And he gets to verse 26, and he begins to explain how the Spirit helps us in our prayers. He writes, the the Spirit helps us, verse 26, in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts 
knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, Paul says, listen, the Spirit comes and he helps us because we're weak. Now, how are we weak? Well, the context tells us he's talking about prayer. We're weak in prayer. Now, I don't know, does anyone here feel weak in prayer? Right? You, you don't, you don't know, know what to pray for or how to pray or there's little faith in your prayers or often you, we, we don't pray. We need the Spirit of God because we're weak in this area. God knows it. That's okay. You're weak in prayer. Don't worry. I've sent help. I've sent the Spirit. Because in the flesh, we don't want to pray. In, in the flesh, we pray for the wrong thing. So the Spirit comes and He indwells us. And you know what He does? He brings a whole new set of desires. He brings a whole new set of loves and yearnings and longings. Please understand that the Spirit is not, He is not an it. Okay? The Spirit's not a force. This is not Star Wars. Okay? The, the Spirit is a He. And He has things He likes and things He doesn't like. He has things He loves and things He hates. He, he has plans and feelings and passions. And He begins to communicate this to us as He dwells in us. And this is told to us almost from the very beginning of Scripture to the very end of Scripture that God is constantly promising, Jesus talked about this a lot, to change our lives by putting His Spirit within us. The Spirit comes and dwells in us and things begin to change in our lives. And one of the most famous passages is in Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 11 is also another wonderful passage, but Ezekiel 36 says, I will, this is God speaking through the prophet, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. Well, what kind of spirit will you put within us? He says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So God says, I'm going to put the spirit in you and the spirit is going to change you. He's going to impact your life in powerful ways. And one thing the Spirit wants to do is He wants to pray. Right? The Spirit has always been in this eternal, loving communion with our triune God. The Father, Son, and the Spirit, totally in love with each other, communicating that love to one another for eternity past. And now the Spirit is in us, and He wants to continue to talk to God, and He wants to talk to, the, to God according to the will of God. And so when we pray in the Spirit, I really think He's doing two things for us. He may be doing more. But consider these two. I think, first of all, the Spirit helps us to pray. We might call Him the enabling Spirit. He enables us to pray. He motivates us to pray. Sometimes, right, you feel the desire to pray. You say, I want to pray for this. That doesn't come from you. That's the Holy Spirit. He is moving you into prayer. He helps us in our weakness, right? And I think our, probably our greatest weakness in prayer is the fact we don't do it. And I, some of you are faithful in prayer, so just kind of tune me out for a moment. I'm talking to the rest of us, okay? We don't pray like we should pray. And I don't know how many times in my life, and perhaps you would admit to this as well, that you've, you've made some major decision or had some resolution, and it just occurs to you, wait a second, I never prayed about that. I didn't pray about this major financial decision. I didn't pray about this relationship. I didn't pray about this, this situation that I'm facing. Or how many times have someone come up to you um, and say, man, I am so thankful you prayed for me because, you know, it all worked out and you don't know how to respond because you're thinking, oh boy, um, I hope somebody prayed for you because I didn't, right? That's probably just me who's had that experience. Um, but you think, I just totally forgot to pray for you. 
Or, or, or I heard of, a, of, of one praying mother who, a pastor asked her son, does your mother pray with you every night? And the boy said, yes, sir. And the pastor said, well, what does she pray? And the boy said, thank God he's in bed. We, we struggle in prayer because we don't often do it. And when we do pray, it's usually just circumstances forcing us to prayer. We need help. But friends, there's no inner natural desire to pray. And the Holy Spirit comes and he begins to stir us up. And he encourages us to pray. And he convicts us when we're not praying. And he gets us going and we start to pray. And then we realize, yes, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And we find great delight in that which we thought would be a burden. Because the Holy Spirit is, is working in us. He began, I'll tell you, he began to work in me about four or five weeks ago. In, in burdening me with this. And, and he has been propelling me towards this. And I just, I'm, I'm so thankful for the Spirit of God in my life that, that overcomes my stubborn heart and says no we're going to talk to god about this and driving me to the father who wants to hear from me that's the spirit's role in your life in fact martin lloyd jones some of you have been blessed by his ministry i about a year or two i read just a little paragraph of of what he said to some of his students and he said listen if you're ever talking to someone or working on something and you feel a desire to pray please understand that does not come from you. That does not come from the devil. That is the Spirit's work in your life. So if you feel that desire to pray, what should you then do? Pray. And how many of us say, okay, well, I got to pray about that later. Or write it down. No, just stop the conversation. Stop. Hey, listen, let's pray about that. And stop and follow the Spirit. He's trying to get us to pray. The Holy Spirit, praying in the Holy Spirit means experiencing His power when we're weak. But the second thing the Holy Spirit does, I think when we pray in the Spirit, is He guides us. We might call Him the guiding Spirit. So the Holy Spirit comes and He helps us to pray for what we should pray. Paul even says here in Romans, we, we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And so the Holy Spirit's always going to want to pray according to God's will. And therefore, I think when we're praying in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit's guiding our prayers to line up with the will of God. Uh, apart from the Spirit, you know what we pray about when we pray? We usually just pray about our natural needs, don't we? We, we pray, we're limited to our own reason. And so we pray for health. We pray for a better job. We pray that the car would start. Right? We pray that the uh, credit card would work. Okay? We, we, we pray for successful children and safety while we drive. And, and none of that's evil. It's just very natural. Right? Non-believers want all those things, don't they? Right? There's no evidence that the Spirit's in our life. Right? And so we, we, when we're praying just naturally, we're just praying for, for these, these things that we want. We're, we're really, you know why we pray for convenience and money and, and things like that? It's because often those are our treasures. That's what we treasure. And we ask God to protect our treasures and to, to give us more treasures. And the Holy Spirit comes and begins to work in our life and He changes our treasures. He changes what we long for. He changes our hearts. And soon we find ourselves praying that God's name would be hallowed. And we, start, we continue to pray for our kids, but we pray that they would overcome temptation. And, and we continue to pray for our marriage, but we, we pray that our wives would be filled with, with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Right? We, we, we pray 
um, for new things. And but of course, we still pray for health and and safety and all that, but we pray for them differently. Like we pray for a job, but we pray that our job now, the Holy Spirit comes and guides us. He says, we start praying that our job would be a place where we could love our neighbor and that we can contribute to society, do good, and, and that we could proclaim God's kingdom. Right? We, we, we pray for the same things that we do so differently. You know that prayer in, in the book of Proverbs, chapter 30, where the proverb writer says, um, God... Um, Give me neither poverty nor riches, right? Don't make me poor. Don't make me rich. Why? He says, feed me with food appropriate for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. Now he's praying for money. He's praying like Jesus taught us, right? Give me this day our daily bread. But he says, now God, only give me enough money that I can handle. Because I'm not after money. I'm after you. And I'm afraid if you don't give me enough money, I'm going to deny you. I'm going to profane you. I'm going to steal. But if you give me too much money, I'm, I'm afraid that I, that will draw me away from you. And I'll say, who is the Lord? I don't need you anymore. So give me daily bread. Give me money. But give me enough so that you continue to be my treasure. See, that's what the Holy Spirit does. He comes and helps us to pray for, for what God wants for us. He changes our treasures and our ambitions and our goals and our, and our desires from, from the inside. We, we live um, up on the mountain, as you know, in the middle of a, of a forest. So you just walk out back and there's just forest everywhere. And it's all poplar trees, except for one tree in our front yard, this big old oak with a tree swing on it. And, and, and you would look around, our, you'd go outside and look around and all the poplar trees are bare. And this oak tree, though it's lost many of its leaves, there's still a bunch of these shriveled brown leaves that are just hanging on. And it's windy up on the mountain, and the wind blows, and it may get rid of some of them, but, but many of those leaves continue, continue to stay. You know how, how to get rid of the dead leaves of an oak tree? Only one way. It's for the new life of the spring leaves to push them out. Oak trees don't drop their leaves in the fall. They drop their leaves in the spring. See, there's something new inside of it pushing away the old, dead, and shriveled. And it's a beautiful metaphor to what the Spirit does in our lives. We have these old fleshly desires that hang on, and no matter how hard we try to get them off, they just kind of remain. That's why the law never worked. But God says, listen, I'll put my Spirit in you. He's going to change you from within, and He's going to push out those old affections and, and give new ones. And new life emerges. New prayers emerge. It's John Piper who says, Praying in the Holy Spirit means experiencing His power when we are weak and His guidance when we are foolish and selfish. So pray in the Holy Spirit. Of course, that raises the question, how? Right? Because if He just said, uh, you guys have to pray, I mean, I could do that. But how do I pray in such a way that's the Holy Spirit motivating me and guiding me? I'll tell you one, uh, by the way, this is not the only time the Bible tells us to do things like this. We're to walk in the Spirit, Galatians 5 or put to death the deeds by the Spirit, Romans 8, or worship by the Spirit, Philippians chapter 3. But we're told over and over again that we're just to do something in such a way that though we're doing it, it's the Spirit who's doing it through us. So how do we do this in prayer? Well, I think there's probably, we could probably talk long about that. But I, I would suggest that one way in which we do it is we, see, we just simply walk by the Spirit. We fellowship with Him. We, we seek Him throughout the day. We want Him to commune with God. He's on our heart. Lead me. We're, we're asking for it. 
We're fellowshipping with God throughout the day. But I think the most powerful way in which the Spirit guides and motivates us is we immerse ourselves in God's Word. Right? He, we, we, we take the Word and we, we listen to it and we reflect upon it and we meditate and ponder and all of a sudden, I don't know, 108 of you, by the way, are reading through the Bible together. I'm so excited for that. And I don't know if you've had this experience in doing this, but all of a sudden, you, you, you want to respond. I got I mean, I to talk to you about this. This is incredible, God. You, were, you did what? I don't understand this, Lord. Explain this to me. Or we want to confess and repent. As See, prayer is simply continuing the conversation in which the which God starts through His Word. Now, who inspired the Word? The Spirit. It's His Word. So how does He guide you? He likes to guide you through the Word in which He has written, which He has given us. And so we, we, we take the Word with us throughout our day, and we consider it, and we savor it, and we talk to God uh, about it. Right? We, we need the Word to inform our prayers. I, I pray every day for my children, but if I didn't have the Word to guide me, my prayers will be stale and dry and I'd start praying the same thing over and over again. But I, I just take what I'm meditating on and I begin to apply that to, my, to the life of my kids and my spouse and, and my church and my community group. I pray, I just kind of take the conversation which God starts and I think the Spirit helps us. And sometimes, by the way, when we're praying, the Spirit comes and interrupts our prayers. I love how Martin Luther put it. He says, when, when, when you're praying, you need to keep a lookout for the Holy Spirit. If, if, as we are praying or meditating, Luther says, and an abundance of good thoughts comes to us, we ought to disregard the other petitions, make room for such thoughts, listen in silence, and under no circumstance obstruct them. The Holy Spirit himself preaches here, and one word of his sermon is better than a thousand of our prayers. Many times, Luther says, I have learned more from one prayer than I might have learned from much reading and speculation. That's the Spirit of God that God has given us. Pray in the Spirit. And then Paul goes on here in Ephesians, and he tells us kind of the spheres in which we are to do this. I don't know if you notice this repeated word in verse 18. It's the word all. It's repeated four times. And Paul begins by saying, pray in the Spirit at all times. That's verse 18, right? Praying at all times in the Spirit. So you have special times of prayer and impromptu times of prayer and disciplined prayer and spontaneous prayer and scheduled prayer, right? In your marriage, you, much of your marriage is spontaneous, but if you don't have scheduled, disciplined contact with your spouse, your marriage is going to deteriorate. If you want a vital hour-by-hour walk with God, you have to have a disciplined, regular meeting with God. And so I would encourage you every day, I would encourage you to start every day speaking to the Lord. Before you go on a trip, you fill up the gas tank, right? You, when you lie down and sleep, your body gets refreshed, but your soul does not. You get up, you refresh your soul, you get ready for the day. You've got to schedule that. Put that on your calendar. D.A. Carson, I think, is right when he says, Much praying is not done because we do not plan to pray. We do not drift into spiritual life. We will not grow in prayer unless we plan to pray. And so plan for it. Treat it as an appointment. Was, it's, it's appointment with somebody you love, not just something you need to get done. You're meeting with somebody. The, the, your treasure, your delight. And I think, by the way, it's best done if you could get secluded. 
Right? You get by yourself. You get a place to pray. Right? I, I, in fact, I, when I pray, I like to pace. Okay? I, I want to be free to walk. I often sing when I pray. And I, you don't want to be around when that happens. Right? Right? I just want to praise Him. Right? I want to be free to do that. When I'm wrestling for someone I love, for the soul of someone close to my heart, I want to be able to cry out to God. I want to be able to weep. I want to do that by myself, just me and the Lord, man. And so you, you get alone with God, and then throughout the day, once you kind of take that with Him, you go throughout the day and you're talking to Him. You're praying to Him hundreds of times during the day. Just talking about this or that. Or, and, and soon you'll find just kind of when your brain goes on like the idol, you're thinking about God. You're thinking about the word you've considered. You're, you're, you're thinking about how great he is or uh, that you need to turn from that sin. Maybe you take 10 minutes before lunch, five minutes before lunch, and you just kind of get away and you open the Bible and you read a verse or two, just five minutes, and you, you respond to God and, and you say, okay, God, I got the rest of this day. Help me. Help me, to, help me to love. Help me to serve. I think you'll have incredible clarity and peace. Maybe five minutes before you go to bed, before you fall asleep, why not just talk to God about your day? Why not roll over and place your hands upon your wife and just, God, thank you for today. And we're sorry that we failed you. And, 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 and we just ask for your forgiveness and grace. And we're going to bed now. You're not. And we just are excited about that. And we, we pray that you would watch over our house tonight because there's nothing we could do about that. Right? And you, you, let, you know the psalmist says, says, I remember you upon my bed. And we would be like, pray at all times. Second, the second all we see is to pray in the Spirit with all prayer. Verse 18, praying at all times with the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. See, prayers are often, usually when we do pray, prayers are often petition. Or as Paul says, supplication. These are the things I want from you, God. Um, and, and this is how we often pray. Seldom do we just spend time adoring God or praising God. In fact, I'm reading a wonderful book by Tim Keller. It's entitled Prayer. Okay? And uh, in this book, there's, there's a survey that he cites of young Americans. And he says young Americans are praying today more than they have in generations. And we all think, okay, that sounds good. But then it begins to talk about how they're praying. And it says that in their prayers, adoration or confession are almost completely absent. And and they say, because the the survey says most young Americans think God is two things. God is distant and God is not demanding. Right? God's job is to help me out in case of trouble to make my life happy. And if God is distant and not demanding, there will be seldom times when you want to praise Him or confess your sin to Him, right? He's just kind of there and, you know, break glass in case of emergency kind of God. But let me just tell you something from the Word of God. God is not distant, and He is demanding. And therefore, your prayers, I think, should not just be asking, but adoring, repenting, all types of prayers, praising prayers and begging prayers and confessing prayers and thanksgiving prayers and asking prayers and seeking prayers. You read the book of Psalms, you see all these different kinds of prayers, exclamations of wonder, reasoned arguments, pronouncements and verdicts, appeals and requests, summonses and calls, verdicts of self-condemnation. There's all, let the book of Psalms guide you in how you pray. I, I, I love how, how one... Uh, 
Christian author says you got three types of people in your life. You might have a co-worker who you enjoy, a friend whom you uh, love, and a, a, a friend who, who, excuse me, a co-worker you appreciate, a friend you love, and a spouse you, I'm, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, I'll try, we'll try it one more time. If not, we'll move on, okay? You have a co-worker that you appreciate, a friend you enjoy, and a spouse or lover you love. Okay, it says when you talk to these people, you talk to them differently. You, you, to the co-worker, you talk about work. You talk about goals. You talk about things you need in order to get the job done. With a friend that you enjoy, you'll open their heart, your heart to them. You'll share your troubles. Hey, I'm struggling here, or this is happening, I need, I need help. But with a, with a spouse or a lover, there's this impulse in us to tell them what it is we find beautiful and wonderful about them. You see, with a coworker, your talk is all about petition. With a friend, there may be confession. But with a lover, there's adoration. And the deeper we move into a relationship, the more the impulse, the more there's an expression of delight and love. All types of prayers. So yeah, requests. He says supplication right there in verse 18. But if that's all you're praying, you're probably not praying in the Spirit. The third all, he says, is to pray in the Spirit with all perseverance. See that in verse 18 again? To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Stay alert, keep it up, persevere. Pray, pray more than once, pray twice, pray three times, pray for 30 years. I know uh, of one pastor who has written that one February, he says, my wife and I vacation with my brother and his wife in northern Maine. I have been praying for him for over 30 years since we were boys that he would come to know Christ. We journeyed to our snowbound vacation with great expectations, he writes, which were not to be disappointed. The second night, together, he broached the subject, saying, in essence, let's talk about my soul. And all of us talked long into the night about our journeys to Christ. He then writes, on the following morning, I said, I, uh, I would like to talk to you some more alone, in which he replied that was just what he was going to suggest. So, in the leather-chaired ambience of an old 1920s wainscot-paneled library, we reviewed the essentials of the faith and then got down on our knees as he repented, asking Christ into his life. We stood and hugged and walked to the other room where he announced, If I die, I'll beat you all there. Then he embraced his lovely wife for several minutes while we all wiped our tears. I tell you, the Lord delights to answer persevering prayers. In fact, I think if he burdens your heart with a prayer to keep going in prayer, that's just evidence he intends to answer it. If he keeps putting that burden on it, why would he do that unless he's going to answer that prayer? It may take two times or three times or 30 years, but we need to keep asking him. You say, why? Why, why not just once? Why do I have to ask him twice? Why do I have to ask him a hundred times? Someone once asked George Mueller that, and he says, well, you might as well not ask him once. Might as well say there's no need to tell him at all because he already knows before you ask. Right? So pray like he tells us to pray. I wonder, by the way, if, listen, if God constantly just gave us whatever we wanted, whenever we wanted, would that not just kind of invert the relationship? Would we not begin to see him as a genie or a butler who exists to answer our requests rather than a king into whom we are to live for? I think persevering prayer exalts God and it humbles us. So wait and persevere 
in prayer. Last all, pray in the Spirit, he says, for all the saints. He says, to that end, verse 18, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. My friends, there are many things we could pray for, but our fellow Christians, our church in particular, must be regularly in our prayers. Do you pray for others in your church? Do you pray for your community group? Do you you get the prayer guide every Wednesday via email? Do you hit delete or do you hit print? Do you pray for your church? Pray for all the saints. Remember Job, how how the story of Job begins? Before there's that whole conversation in heaven, uh, Job's children, remember that? They're throwing a party. And, And where's Job? Is he at the party? He's not. He's praying for his kids. And he tells us why. He says, I'm praying for them because perhaps they sin. And you get to the end of the book of Job. I'd even, I never even caught on to this until I was working on this sermon. The end of the book of Job, God calls all of Job's foolish counselors together. And he says, I am burning in anger towards you. But he says, but I will forgive you if Job prays for you. Now, if that were me, I would say, okay, what is this worth to you, boys? Right? Right? Of course, Job, he just prays. And God forgives. Is that not extraordinary? Pray for all the saints. Or think about Paul. I don't know what you think about when you imagine Paul. I think of a, a long, flowing gray beard right? with a kind of thinning hair, worn face, body wearing the scars of his sacrifice. Just this man to stand before a mob. You ever done that? Stand before a mob? Stand before a monarch. Stand before the religious elite. Stand before the philosophers of the age. Stand before pagan priests and not back down an inch. How did you do it? Read 19. He says, and also for me. Not just pray for all the saints. Pray for me. Why, Paul? What should we pray? That the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. You see what Paul is saying? I can't do it without your prayers. Pray for me. We need to pray for one another. You need to have, listen, you need to organize your prayer, plan your prayer as you pray for all the saints in the Spirit. Now, I said all of this with one great assumption, and that the assumption is that you have the Spirit. You see, in order to have the Spirit of God in us, we have to be in Christ. And so if I were to ask you, if, if you know for certain where you will spend eternity if you were to die today, how would you answer that question? Do you know for certain where you would go? So many people in our, our day say, well, you know, I'm good. I, I've, I've done good in my life. I, you know, try to be a good person. I think, that, I think that's enough. I just, wanted, I just want us all to be certain. If we're certain of anything, please be certain of this. Jesus did not die for you because you're good. He died for you because you're bad. But he loves you anyway. 
In fact, He loves you so much, He'll give up His life. He'll bear the penalty for your sin and for the sin of all who would confess Him as Christ. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. You could do that right now. You could just in the privacy and the quiet of your own heart just confess, I I believe, Jesus, you are the Lord. You are my Lord. I bow my knee to you in faith. I believe you died for my sin and rose from the dead and one day will return in glory and I surrender. I tell you, the Bible says if you confess that, place your faith, you will be saved. The Spirit will reside in you, enabling you to pray as you ought. All of this reminds me of a story as we close. It's a story that's been told many times, perhaps you heard it, of Ignacy Paderewski, who was the Prime Minister of Poland in the early 20th century, and also happened to be a world-renowned pianist. There was a time when Paderewski was going to come to America and play the piano, and they booked this magnificent concert hall, and thousands of people showed up with great anticipation of this uh, musical performance. Two of the people who showed up was a mother and a son, and she wanted to encourage her son in piano playing, so she bought the best tickets she could buy kind of right there towards the front of the auditorium. And so they all showed up early, and, and this boy is just overwhelmed at this magnificent concert hall and the, the thousands of people and this 12-foot grand piano on center stage. And, and, and the, the mom begins to visit with others around her, and why she does, this boy d- disappears. And soon, everyone hears the piano is being played. And they all look on stage, and it is not Paderewski, but it is this little boy playing his best rendition of Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. And everybody kind of erupts in laughter. I mean, it's kind of funny. Uh, Everybody except the mom, I think. (laughs) But soon they kind of, of, their joy was a little fickle. You know, they just kept playing. It was fun to begin with, but now it's like, okay, the piano's getting sticky, and and the grandmaster, he wants to come out. and, And they begin to shout. Hey, let's get that boy out of there. All all this while, the mother's trying to recover and find her way back on the stage. And and you know who comes out is Paderewski himself. And he marches up right behind this boy. Many people I trust thinking he's going to pick up the boy and say, okay, go back to mama. But he doesn't do that. He walks up to the boy and he leans over and he whispers in his ear. He says, don't stop. Keep playing. And he he takes one of his arms. uh, Help me out, Mark. Left arm, filling in the bass. Is that right? I don't know. Right? And, then, and, then, and then he takes his right arm and he encircles this boy and he begins to supply the, the running obligato. And soon this concert hall is filled with this magnificent piece of music all just kind of improvised right there. This, this, this old concert master and this young boy holding this crowd mesmerized as Paderewski keeps whispering in the boy's ear, don't stop, son. Keep playing. When they had finished, the crowd just leapt to their feet and erupted in cheering and celebration and, and applause and hollering. And you think, why? Why were they so moved? Was it, was it his best piece of music? No. They, they weren't moved. See, listen, the masterpiece was not the improvised composition. The masterpiece was what this man did with the boy. I, I kind of think we come to God with our 
twinkle, twinkle, little star prayers. And God and the Holy Spirit comes and He just kind of wraps our arms around us. And He makes something beautiful out of them. All the while whispering in our ear, Don't stop, son. Keep praying. Our Father in heaven, that's what we long to do. I think, I think that's in our heart somewhere. If the Spirit's in us, it's got to be in there. I think for many of us, so much, so much flesh, so much obstacles. Just pray you would help us get past it all. I, I think probably many, many times, my brothers and sisters, if they're anything like me, have talked to you about our prayerlessness. And we've said, okay, okay, this is the time I just want to change. I pray, Father, that this would be the time. By your abundant grace, that you would make us into a praying people for your glory. Father, we recognize that the only reason that we can pray, that we have the privilege of drawing near to the God of whom the angels cry, Holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty, is through the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we are eternally thankful for His sacrifice. In fact, we even come now to remember it to this Lord's table. And Father, as we pray quietly in our own hearts, searching our hearts, I pray that You would guide each one of my brothers and sisters that if there's anything in their life that they, they, they might need to confess to You or if they just need to respond to You in prayer, that they would just pray silently just for a moment as we prepare for this supper meal. Our Father, we, we, we want to be more faithful to You. We want to be more devoted to You. But let this meal which we now take be a reminder that our relationship with You is not based upon our devotion to You, but upon Your devotion to us. Even we, we sang it today. We are loved by God. That's who we are. This is our reminder this morning, isn't it not, Father? Of the extent of that love. Help our hearts to rejoice in it, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.